What the fuck is your problem, dude? <laughs> too many to, to, to answer. I don't know. <laughs> nah. <laughs> hey, dude. How's it going? So good. How are you doing? I'm really good. You really must good. be exhausted. I'm actually not. No. You think that having a baby a couple days ago would... I mean, everyone warned us that we would be tired, but uh, I kind of feel... I actually feel like I'm getting more sleep at home than I do on tour. Hmm. So I feel I also feel like Ari was pregnant for like four years or something. I don't know. Like her belly just kept getting... I feel like you guys were just ready to have this kid. It went by fast for us. I mean, definitely for me. <laughs> I don't know why I have opinions on any of this shit. I just <laughs> keep my fucking mouth shut. <laughs> um, well... First off, dude, thank you so much for making the time. Oh, and uh, when I first uh, was like, I'm going to reach out to you and try to make this shit happen, Ashley, who's just off camera, I see you, was like, how do you know Derek? And I don't really know. I think we met through – I think we met uh, when I opened I for came you guys. To your, no, I came to your show. That's right. That is the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You no. came to my show at the Roxy. Yeah. And that was such an important show. Mm-hmm. I like uh, – we had been unsigned now for a couple months. I had just gotten dropped a couple months before mm-hmm. and uh, had put out that song, Blood Water, um, and it was starting to build a little bit of momentum, and we started having these new conversations with these record labels, and everyone's attitude was like, yeah, but how's the live set? Mm-hmm. And so my manager was like, we're not going to do this showcase because a lot of bands, when you do get that opportunity, you just go play for these record labels. And it can be very sterile. Yeah, yeah. It's very, like, Im- impersonal. And you don't really get to showcase the parts of yourself that come out um, when you're really talking to fans. Yeah, and yeah. so many people, I think, now more than ever, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, but I feel like people are listening with their eyes mm-hmm. now more than ever. So the perception of something, um, both in, like, the videos of people going buck wild or – or the way in which Spotify and Instagram have these quantifiable numbers that are so publicly accessible and available. Mm-hmm. We just knew that we needed it to look dope or yeah. else they might not get it. Yeah. And so um, we gave away a bunch of tickets. We mm-hmm. were basically like, if you have even heard of Grandson and you promised to jump up and down, like my manager probably spent like two grand in just giving people these $20 tickets just so it looked cool in mm-hmm. there. And it was already this really exciting day. And then um, I think that somebody had told me, like, I think that Derek, uh, you know, Derek Wibley, some 41, he's going to come through. He's going to come <laughs> hang out. And I was like, get out of here, man. <laughs> You're pulling the chain. And sure enough, you came into the green room and made what was already like a pretty special and exciting day. Pretty cool. And uh, as you know, and, you know, it's a weird thing to try to express to somebody. But, like, I've just been a huge fan and have fucked <laughs> with you guys since I was – and I don't want to date any of it, but literally since I was in like grade three. Wow. Wow. I was cool. like eight Thank years you. old and I remember the, the In Too Deep music video <laughs> came out yeah, yeah. with the diving boards. And I was like, I want to fucking do that. And you guys, back, back when you had the hair all spiky. And, <laughs> yeah. Man, you've been a part of my relationship to rock and roll the whole time. And so the fact that you came out to show love that day and then after that we've had a couple of times to just kick it, hang out, talk about music and – um I just wanted to say thank you at the onset of this, and uh, and yeah, that's awesome. I mean, thank you, dude. It's that's so awesome. awesome. I, I I feel like um, when I told this story um, to somebody close to me of our friendship, and uh, she made a comment on how she felt that mentorship was more prominent in rock and roll than in other genres of music. Mm-hmm. In, in that, I actually do have a couple different places I can go with 
you know, dealing with the grind of being on tour, trying to find the work-life balance, trying Mm -hmm. to figure out how to handle the band dynamics on tour or dealing with your producer or this and that. And um, number one, I'm curious if you think that's true. And then I'd like to talk if you had any people doing for you what you've done now for other artists. Um, I I don't know. I guess it's it probably is true. I think um, in rock music, usually – you meet people, it's always like like-minded people and you usually kind of get along with a lot of rock bands. Sometimes you don't, but I find um, that usually, and I don't know if this is my case, but I would say in the earlier days, we kind of didn't seem to make friends with a lot of bands. We always sort of seem, we always felt like we were kind of like on the outside and mm-hmm. no one really liked us or um, we just didn't seem to get along with a lot of bands. Did it feel like that or was that, that was what was happening? It, it felt like that and we did have some sort of like, feuds with bands some mm-hmm. public feuds and stuff like that which were to us we just kind of thought it was funny and it was like just a joke but then some people kind of thought it was serious and it, we just always felt like we didn't really i don't know have a lot of friends in the music community nowadays it feels a lot different i think probably because we're just older and we don't really get into those kind of feuds or anything like that anymore but as far as when we were starting out and like having anybody kind of help us along the way or mentors and stuff like that, I never really felt like we had that. Hmm. I never really, not that I can think of anyway. I mean, we had a manager at the time that we felt was like our mentor, but he ended up being not the best mentor. He's kind of, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe him, but he's kind of like, I don't know if you know who Malcolm McLaren is manager, like sex pistols. And he's kind of a Malcolm McLaren character. Um, he sort of like takes a lot of credit and like sort of pretends that he knows way more. And you, sounds so like a follow, shit mentor actually. Yeah. You kind of follow him because you think he knows all this stuff. He really, he doesn't really know anything. He's kind of structured the business to benefit himself more than hmm. anything really. Hmm. That's annoying. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so we had that for the first four albums until we realized that it wasn't the best situation and we got rid of him. Then what did you do? Then we started – we went through a few managers for a while, which was is always kind of a bad thing too. It's kind of disruptive in your career because you're never really kind of getting a real sort of – I don't know, like a real team together and a sort of a, a base of operations. You know, yeah. you're just kind of jumping around. So we did that and, and that was kind of rough. But then we got to – our manager now, Ron Lafitte, and I've been with him now for about 11 or 12 years. And since that point, I guess I would say he is definitely somebody who's like a mentor or would has been great guidance, mm-hmm. you know, really smart guy. I feel like a lot of the other people in which I, I – of all the other places I can go for some sort of guidance or people that have been there before sometimes will give me like a neutered kind of like version of, of what it's like to navigate these things. Mm-hmm. And I always appreciated that that was not something that you did with me. You were very <laughs> honest about, you know, some of the other <laughs> temptations along the way. Yeah, yeah, and, um, yeah. But one thing I, 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 I've been curious about, there's something I fuck with so hard about the sort of sarcasm and irreverence that was so prominent in the late 90s, mm-hmm. mid 90s, the, 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 the attitude of – you guys and Marilyn Manson and South Park and mm-hmm. Blink-182 and Nirvana even, there was this real um, silliness, like, but under I think that there was a social commentary being made in mm-hmm. how, you know, kind of 
like like the 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 surface level humor of these fart jokes and i'm curious if that was um deliberate if there was a commentary that you felt like you guys were making through being silly or if it just kind of was like being you know in your late teens early 20s and who gives a fuck let's just like have a good time and all these old people are cramping our style (laughs) i think honestly the way i operate and i the way we operated as a band is just we don't really think about anything or talk about anything about what we're going to do. Everything's just very, we're just us. And that sort of, our personalities kind of guide us and, and direct us through, you know, we, we put out music and that's really serious to me. Um, but then we're not super serious people mm-hmm. at the same time. So we're not going to pretend that we're not, you know, it's just, we go out there and we be ourselves and that kind of changes over time because our personalities change over time. But um, yeah, no, everything's just, it's just what we do, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. and we don't really think about it or. Yeah, that's interesting. And I feel like it's so much of what I'm trying to navigate through this whole shit that we got going on here mm-hmm. is, um, you know, uh, over the past couple years of finally getting to tour, I get to talk to people that have found success in um, divergent work and whether that's in uh, different facets, of the music industry or community organizing, um, all kinds of shit that we're doing something that at one point in your upbringing or in high school, somebody told you that's not what you can do to earn a living or support a family or whatever. And um, I feel like a lot of people, um, myself, I benefited from having my family support. And Mm -hmm. I had this real self-determinism, this attitude of, you know, I'll always regret it if I don't take this shot, this and that, these sorts of mentalities that kept me through when it wasn't happening Mm -hmm. to get me here. And now I'm in the position to talk to kids. And I feel like a lot of them, especially here in America, when I go on tour and in Canada, a lot of them just don't have that sort of um, advice in their ear. A lot of them do feel like overwhelmed by the system or, or feel like, okay, uh, grandson is this thing, this idea that I listened to in between classes in high school, and I'm over here just wanting to be in a band. I, he, but I can't have that, and I wanted to use this space to just remind people that um, all these people that you look up to, that I look up to, have navigated ups and downs, have just been dealing with these things one step at a time, and and in hopes of having these conversations as a way to break down the barriers between you and your sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. Talking to people, you're, there's two things that in the, that I feel like this conversation is unique relative to the other um, people that I've had these conversations with. Number one, you might have been the youngest person to find that success. A lot of people I talk to, like um, my friend Nick, who we were just talking to earlier, yeah. um, you know, he said that he was in his mid to late 20s when this band finally started touring and got mm-hmm. signed and this and that. You were like 17, 18. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious if, if it seems like you were kind of just had your North Star was just your intuition and what felt good. I'm curious if you ever had those moments in Ajax, Ontario <laughs> of asking yourself like where your ambition came from and did you know that you were ambitious or were you just kind of blindly going, I want to be in a band, being uh, playing guitar is fun and all of a sudden this happened? Because you seem like way more a cerebral person than that. Everything to me um, is I, – I never really asked those questions back then. It's only – and I never really thought about it back then when I was 17, 18. All I knew back then is that 
probably instinctually that music is what I was going to do, regardless if it was successful or not. I knew that that's all I cared about doing and, and school and all everything that everyone wanted me to do, like, you know, my mom and, you know, go to college and all this kind of stuff. I just knew there was going to be nothing in that life for me. Um, I didn't know where it was going to go. You know, I knew that, I mean, in the back of my head, I always felt like we were going to do something. I didn't think it was just going to, we were just going to be like an Ajax bar band or something like that. Um, I could, I could see it growing just from what we were doing as 17, 18 year olds. And, um, as the songs got a little bit better, um, and I started seeing the reaction from some people in the Canadian music industry. You started getting some signs that maybe something could happen here. Because I wrote some of those songs that became like our singles back then when I was about 18. Like the song In Too Deep I wrote when I was about 17 or 18. And people were starting to say, that song is a hit. And That's I'm like, well, I don't know what, uh, how, is, how do you have a hit then? Like if it's a hit, what do we do? Like, let's put it out. And they're like, well, it doesn't work like that. You know, you got to get a record deal and you got to do this and so it took a little while till we got to that point. Um, but I think, you know, like I said, like around that age, I just felt like this is what I was going to do. When I was 17, I think I had just begun to understand that if you put tobacco underneath <laughs> your weed, then you'll get a head rush and get really baked. So I guess we were both kind of like on a really exciting yeah, path yeah, of discovery. Totally. Um, <laughs> but the other thing that I was curious about that I haven't really – you've also had the most extended – um, a time spent having um, been able to sit in the like a, a sense of arrival and I know that you don't feel that I know that you're perpetually creating and mm-hmm. trying to go deeper which explains how, like I'm just putting together my first album and I'm asking all these questions about you know what the fuck am I trying to say and mm-hmm. how am I going to continue to expand and what is it that I want I had a session recently with Ross Golan who's like a who's a, a, a songwriter who has bomb, bomb ass podcast of his own called and the writer is and you know we get in to to do a session together and this is a relatively new phenomenon for me like working with other people on grandson music and i remember he was just continuously drilling into my head like what do you what do you want because that will dictate the kind of song we write today like mm-hmm. if you want to speak to your existing audience and take these very specific directions with the songwriting and and really talk speak to us a certain attitude a certain thing then we can do that Mm -hmm. if you are trying to use this debut album to get you to these huge venues and to be able to play you know ten thousand cap rooms in germany and moscow shit that's a different song that we're writing Mm -hmm. and it was really fucking me up like dude i don't even know so i'm curious um you know eight albums in right Mm -hmm. Uh, what, number one, how you continuously, how that why and how that sense of purpose evolves over, um, a career that is as uh, expansive and successful as yours and, um, and, and where that motivation comes from to continuously reinvent yourself and not just be like, well, you know, I'm going to take my time off of tour to hang and build my life and then I'll just chomp it, throw another in too deep in there, <laughs> go tour, do it all over again. You know, that must be a tempting thing that you might see other contemporaries of yours taking that path. Possibly. I, I mean, there's a few things. I mean, and because we've been doing this for a while, like it definitely changes over time, um, like my process of, of things. There's always some similarities, but I think one thing that never changes is that I never get out of 
the the band or the music. Like mm. it never leaves me. There's I don't go home and shut some forty one off or shut off writing or anything. It's I come home and I do the family thing. But you know, I was in the studio with the little guy the other night. You know, mm. like he sleeps there and I just well, and he can sleep through noise. So you know, Ari was in bed. I was watching the dude, and I just went to the studio with him. I'll just keep working, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing is I just never really let it leave me. Um, another thing, though, like as far as process goes, like what type of music or, you know, I didn't really think about that too much. Um, I think time sort of dictates what I can do because certain records – like our second record, Does This Look Infected, um, I only had a couple weeks to write that because All Killer had come out, Fat Lip and Into Deep took off, and they just, our schedule was so booked, and we never had any days off. We never, we didn't, they didn't give us much time to make a new record and and go back out on tour. They gave us a six-week window. And, and this is in the time where I was young enough to not know that I could say, hey, I can't do that. Like, mm-hmm. they gave us a schedule, and I thought, oh, geez, I have to do this. This is the schedule. So I just went in and wrote, 12 songs really quickly and that was the second record um i don't do that anymore so then the process can change a little bit whereas i do start to ask myself some of those questions before i start writing of like what do i want to achieve out of this record like we've done all this where am i trying to go and i don't think about that musically more about or i'm sorry i don't think about that like stylistically Mm -hmm. but musically i'll look at it like I'm not going to say like, well, okay, we've done pop punk. Should I do metal or something like that? I don't right. do that. But um, I'll think musically, do I want this to be more energetic or faster, slower? Or how many slow songs do I kind of feel like I want to do on this? Like things like that I'll start to ask myself. Um, and that's usually just at the beginning. And then I just let it go. I don't, I'll sort of answer those questions and then I forget about it. But yeah. it's sort of like planted a seed in a way. Yeah, it's such a tricky equilibrium to find. Like I do think that sometimes I get really, really fruitful results out of asking questions in the writing process of what do I want to talk about? What's What am I feeling today? What's important? Like sometimes that line of inquiry will produce a song that I wouldn't have written otherwise. And otherwise, uh, like other times I just think myself into this really whack, uncreative place. I was just going to say, I know where you're – like what you mean by that. And I think – my answer to that would be um, is it every song's different and the process can change. Sometimes asking yourself will work for you and sometimes asking yourself questions will hurt you. Mm-hmm. So you just got to like navigate through which times you feel like it's helping or it's hurting mm-hmm. and you just back off of it or or lean into it. You've had like – Let's say you have the. I'm I'm starting to have these diehard fans mm-hmm. that get the tattoos on the arm that'll consume whatever it is that are gonna watch this and listen mm-hmm. to all the music. And um, I've been doing this now for about three years, and uh, you know I've had a couple people uh, that are now in college that are in second, third year of university go, "Oh man, I'm such a big fan. I used to listen to you in high <laughs> yeah, school." Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, "What the fuck are you talking about? Like the, the, the fact that." You get. I, I feel like I'm just constantly looking at the the three months in front of me. I'm looking at. All right, I'm off a tour. I better write some bangers. All right, I'm going back on tour. Better kill this fucking tour and mm-hmm. hope the rooms get bigger and hope this and that. All right, I'm back off tour, and somewhere in the midst of that, this fan base is just rocking with me. And mm-hmm. sometimes I'm so focused on trying to bring more people in. I want it like you guys got it. You know, I'm trying to get it now and get it for when I am ready to like build out my sick studio at my house and this and that. So it's 
I, I have to challenge myself, A, not to take for granted those people that have been there forever, mm-hmm. and B, my relationship to those people of what is it that I want my role in their life to be? What is it that I'm trying to facilitate for them? I do mm-hmm. try to ask myself, and I think that's also why I'm doing this, is so much of this is my own processing. I just don't want this to be for nothing. Mm-hmm. I just don't want this to be, well, I love writing songs and I'm just going to make songs and make this all about myself, my own process. And somewhere along the line, oh, wow, you guys have di- – you guys are collectors of this memorabilia and you are you know every single word and you're de- deconstructing all my music. I'm always trying to ask myself – how can this relationship between me and you as the fan I'm meeting at this meet and greet evolve? And how can I how can I be something for you that either I wasn't before or just deepen that connection? Then I try to zoom out and you got you have some people that have had this relationship with you and with your music for like 14, 15 years. I'm curious how if if those people that are consuming what you do factor into your sense of purpose at all, not that they necessarily should or have to, and uh, if so, how has how does that evolve in in making decisions around how to tour, what to put out, how to how to like let them in or give them something? I think I mean the thing that you just said about your you know when you're thinking about trying how can you bring more people in and all that kind of stuff how you're thinking right now I mean for me that's how I think now still like mm-hmm. I don't think that ever leaves you mm-hmm. um, or at least it hasn't for me like I always still feel like we're still just kind of like at the beginning like I always feel like there's so much more for us to do and I'm we still have to work so much more and, and harder to to expand because I see the growth in our, in our band that it's like this steady incline. It always just gets a little bit bigger every single time we kind of do something. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I do think about those similar things, but I think the most important thing for me, at least, I mean, I can only ever speak for myself and just what's worked for me or, or how I think, I don't know if it's advice or if it's something that you don't want to follow. I have no (laughs) idea, but for me, it comes down to just writing honest music. And I think that's what people connect with you um, is that it does come from your heart. It is honest. And I think if you never lose that, that at the end of the day, there's, you have to remind yourself that at the end of the day, it's all about the music and Mm -hmm. that's, what's going to expand your fan base. And that's, what's going to reach more people is if it's just, it's always music. It's not just like some marketing team helping you come up with some cool ideas or, you know, and obviously that stuff helps get the music out there. But if the music's not there, yeah, it doesn't. None of that matters. So Fuck. music is number one. Honesty in your music, just you have that already. Just don't lose that. Fuck, thank you, man. And I do get very pessimistic at times trying to make music in 2020, and I try to hold on to that kind of mentality that if I just make good shit, that will do the work for me. It, it does. It's a big part of it. Um, I think the other thing to not get discouraged if you write something great and it doesn't work, sometimes it comes back around years later and it becomes something great. All mm-hmm. of a sudden, it, I, I was really surprised to see that happen for us for songs that just 15 years later all of a sudden become something hmm. that was not – that you know we put a song out in 2007 or something like that and it didn't do anything. And then now it's one of our biggest songs. Right. I think I was listening to an interview. It was like one of the ballads. Yeah, or it was a ballad. I don't know what happened. It was just, it lived online and grew and grew and grew. I didn't even notice it till, you know, 10 years later, somebody pointed out the numbers on YouTube or something. I was uh-huh. like, that's almost as high as like some of the other ones. Like, right. that, that were real, like Still Waiting and Hell Song. Like, it's the same wow. numbers as that. I'm like, 
maybe we should try playing it. We played it <laughs> one night and it went over well. And then we played it like, well, let's do a real test. Let's play it in a festival uh-huh. in the middle of the set, see what happens. The whole festival sang it. Like, how wow. do these people know it? It was never released, you know, or yeah, never that's did. So anything. cool. And so I... sometimes I'm saying like, if it doesn't happen right away, to not get get discouraged because yeah. that really, it, all those things really bummed me out at a certain point in, in our career. You know, if it didn't work. You know, you'd feel really. Do I have to it. change it up? Yeah, but, yeah, and there's certain amounts of it that nobody can teach. But the me. thing is, you just don't. You just follow your heart, and you follow what you think is cool and what you like. And sometimes it, it you'll hit some peaks and valleys. But mm-hmm. as long as like you're, in, you know, on an incline over time. Yeah, that's Fuck. the most important thing, that's really. So and if and if you. My and this again, this is my opinion. When I see artists or bands and they sort of genre hop because they're like, I got to stay relevant. So now I'm going to try to add this whatever style mm-hmm. to try to bring it in. And it really doesn't sound authentic at all to them. Mm-hmm. And it ends up hurting them in the long run. Or sometimes they'll have success with it, but that style fades. And then you get like five years away from it. And people are, that song becomes really embarrassing because it's associated with some a weird period. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and I remember uh, we we played a show together in August mm-hmm. of of 2019, and uh, I, at the time I had just received a call. I really didn't want to hear that there were a couple key cities on a fall tour I was going on mm-hmm. that were like not selling tickets the way that we had hoped that they would. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just fucking so upset. I yeah, was yeah. mad at the people that put me in this position that were maybe too ambitious with the tick with the venue capacities yeah, yeah. i was mad at my management really i was just mad at myself i just felt like i took it so personally that somehow this is my responsibility to just create the space for me to i feel like i should be playing these 2500 cap rooms or whatever they are and i remember talking to you and you were up front that you know every band goes through those kinds of things i was just about to say it again yeah <laughs> but it it just it it happens for yeah. sure and of of the many ways that um you've been like helpful for me and and why i really wanted to get you in this space talking to some kid that's then asking me these you know sending me their first demo asking for advice just that these problems they follow you around and if you don't learn how to make some sort of peace with with what you're doing and trust why you're doing it is 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 for good then you, then i i catch myself constantly needing more and and the more just doesn't always move as quickly as my desire for it we got to take a quick motherfucking commercial break <laughs> okay and then let's talk about some other shit cool sick here we go we're back that quick. <laughs> that was a good commercial. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, you heard that one, right? <laughs> that, was, that was really good. Um, I want to talk about something, if you're comfortable with it, that, that's come up a couple times in these conversations. Um, it, you know, we're in such an enabling environment, and I feel that so many people that are fans of our music are, are going through it too. Um, I'm curious how your relationship to um, vice and addiction, whether that plays into your sense of purpose now, having been able to get clean and, and, and with your life, which a lot of people can't say the same for, um, where and how, um, if that's something that you continue to, to, to have to navigate and work through. And if there was any practical advice you got along the way of, co- uh, of finding sobriety and finding something that might help somebody who's high as shit watching this right now. <laughs> Um, that's, it's, it's a bit tough to, to answer or to give advice for me. Um, 
I've been asked that before, and I still it's it's been I'm about six years sober, and I don't quite know how to explain, you know, why or how it worked for me. Um, and I I don't know. It's it's one of those things like it's so individual, and I've heard this from a lot of people. Like it's it's different for every person um, who are trying to get sober. But I found for me, well, it's. It comes down to the experience that you had with it too. For the longest time, I mean, I loved drinking and I was a great drinker and everything was really, you know, I, I was very functioning and like I was a high functioning. Yeah. What, what, what plays into making you a great drinker? What made you such a great drinker? Probably my tolerance and which is also what was the thing that got me in trouble because I could drink so much and it didn't, I never, I wouldn't get super drunk. I could handle a lot of alcohol. The problem was, is that my liver couldn't, you know, Mm. so, um, I was pretty, and I could, I didn't really get hangovers. Um, I could always work, you know, the next day, no matter what, how late I stayed up of two hours sleep, I could always do what I needed to do. Um, it got to a point after about say like 16 years of just kind of rolling like that. And I could also stop at any point too, at that time, I could take a month off and just do something else, work on, I, I never really drank in the studio much. Um, or at least writing, I would always like get sober for that. And it was like never an issue. Um, it started to get to an issue when I, I injured my back um, and my back got worse and worse as I was on the road because I never took care of it. I just kept touring through it and I had a herniated disc and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. So I started drinking more and more. And that's when all of a sudden my drinking went from partying to sort of self-medicating. And that's what turned me more into an alcoholic where it's like my body needed it. <clears throat> where I didn't really feel like I wanted it, but I had to because my body couldn't really function anymore without it. Like I started getting shakes all the time if I wasn't – if I'd been too long without a drink. That's when I was bad at drinking all of a sudden. Um, and then I was like that for about – I'm going to say two years. And by the end of that second year of that, just drinking every single day, kind of all day. If you're, if I was awake, I was drinking. Um, and that's what put me in the hospital with liver failure. So – from that point, once I was in the hospital, I didn't – I mean I, I knew I – through those two years of drinking where it was like for my back and I was saying like I didn't really want to drink but I felt like I had to. I didn't really have a choice. Like once I didn't – I got out of that sort of, you know, those hooks of – you know, I was on the – I was in the hospital. I'd gotten over uh, whatever they call it, the DTs, like all the withdrawal and all that kind of stuff. I was already over it. So I didn't have the shakes anymore and I was like, oh, thank God. Now I can just stop. Cause I don't need to worry about all that stuff. And from that moment on, I've just never drank again. Hmm. So, you know, I mean, it's so individual and so personal. I don't know how to explain how right. to give advice. Do you think that you, if not for these like health related aggressive interventions on your life, do you think you could have, you would have just kind of gone? I probably would have kept drinking the same way I did before, which I probably would have slowed down. I always wanted to have a family and have children and obviously, but I would probably still drink like, say most people would, you know, Mm -hmm. either on weekends or just at the end of the day, have some wine or whatever it it was. Um, but I'm glad in a way, I mean, I'm, I'm really glad it all happened. Like it was, it was really tough to go through, but I'm so happy it happened. Mm -hmm. I love where I'm at right now. I actually love being sober. I used to think that, oh man, life must be so boring to be sober. I don't know. I just, that's how I used to feel. And once I became sober and realized how great my life was, my life was great when I was drinking, but it got so much better when I got sober, hmm. and that was a nice surprise. So to go back 
it just doesn't yeah. uh, it's been there done that you know I feel like there are people that fall – like I've met some people that are musicians that are just so happy in monogamous, healthy relationships, mm-hmm. sober, not sober, whatever, that can just handle like a very moderate you know, relationship to some of the temptations mm-hmm. and, and uh, that, that are so readily accessible in this very enabling environment. Then I've met other people that are like partying really hard and – sleeping with supermodels or whatever <laughs> and uh i catch myself somewhere in the middle of them where yeah. i almost wish i could just pick a fucking side because i would probably be less conflicted <laughs> yeah yeah i've had so many nights on <clears throat> tour where i get off stage and i feel like there are just there's the wholesome chill happening over here where i can smoke a joint and watch school of rock mm-hmm. there's like what's happening over here at the bar after the yeah and yeah. i really get caught in the middle of it and literally there have been times where i just wish that i but I, I, it's been very hard for me to make a sense of peace in my own attitudes and mm-hmm. my own relationships to these things because I do will spend a week on this side and then get overwhelmed in a week over here. And now I am really happy in this relationship, but I'm about to go on tour. It gets me a little nervous. Mm-hmm. It's just such a, a, a tricky environment, and I don't think I've had certain like really harsh, jarring um, reasons not to be anyone i'm i'm happy i'm this version myself i am most happy in but um those temptations are really they're 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 real and they're hard for me to let go of Mm -hmm. i feel like you almost kind of have to push it so far because i never did because i've never like needed rehab or I've, i've i've stayed away from shit going up my nose and all kinds of stuff I, I think that it's almost like prevented me from knowing that I don't need that the mm-hmm. way that I, I have with other with other vices and it's fucking confusing. It's very confusing and um, like I said, it's so hard for me to give advice because it's so different for for everybody. See, so like I in my early days, I knew that I didn't want to be in a relationship and I didn't want to have any of that, and I wanted to go out every night and just be free and you know be that guy. Be free. And and I did it. And then it just got to a point where, you know, I don't know, life changes. And again, I don't really think about any of this stuff. It's just sort of a feeling to me. I just sort of feel my way through life. And it just, you know, you, you just sort of move on, I guess. Or I moved on, you know. Yeah, there's a song um, that's on this album that I'm putting together. I fucking hope it's on it. I don't know if it'll make the cut. But mm-hmm. the chorus basically is speaking to that I, I, I don't want to move on, but I don't want to get left behind. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, I don't want to say goodbye to this era in my life, but I feel like if everyone leaves, if everyone grows up and I never had, like, will I, will I keep one foot wishing I had done tw- my 20s differently? But yeah, yeah. I get so many people around me that have been through it that are better off without it. And I'm like, do I need to go through all of that pain to, to reach that? Can you get there without putting yourself through fucking the if hospital? I, and if, Yeah, you don't, definitely don't want to do that. <laughs> you don't want to. I mean, I was super lucky. Um, there was a, a better chance that I wasn't going to make it through than, you know, they, they kept telling me that. It was pretty much 50 50. Mm. And they told me this afterwards, um, the doctors, when I got out. And they'll, I still have those doctors. I see them now and then. Um, they still tell me, they're like, you know, we were being kind when we were telling you it was 50 50. We actually, we were pretty sure we, you were going to die in there. So 
it's definitely not the way to do it. <laughs> but for me, I'm glad that it happened in the way everything has worked out in my life. But I don't recommend that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that the way that you handle this, the way that you always are so cautious about giving any sort of advice and the way you always make sure that all you can say is from your own perspective is mm -hmm. really indicative of your humility and your your honesty with yourself and your experiences. And uh, sure wish you could give me some better advice than that, but I do understand. <laughs> here's here's what I would say for some <laughs> advice then um, with what you're talking about. You know, you're, you're, you're running through all these scenarios of what could happen, right, uh -huh. in, in your life of, well, should I do this or should I do that? Would it take me here? Would I feel more pain or would I not or blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't think about all that stuff. I would just do. Just do stuff. You're going to figure it out, you know. You'll get into situations that aren't that cool. You'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. You'll get into situations that are fucking great and they won't last and you'll go somewhere else. It, that's life. You know, you just kind of go through it all. And just the only advice I could say is just try to enjoy, find enjoyment in all these things. And, and if you are in a bad situation, which we all get into, you, there's all, there is a way out. You know, mm -hmm. you can figure it out. Let's figure I wouldn't it. fear out all these things that could happen. Right. Fear, the, you know, deal with the situations that you're in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So much of it is just trial by fire, I guess. Yeah. I'm going to light myself on fire now. We're going to take a quick commercial break and then uh, we'll come back and talk about one more thing and then get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yes. Um, I want to go into a different space. I feel like your um, some of the more recent music you've been putting out has been, correct me if I'm wrong, a little more political than some of the other stuff in the past. And I know in this particular genre of music, you really have something to lose. Mm -hmm. You know, we do step into these... Uh, overwhelmingly white uh, conservative um, spaces and having the opinions uh, that that we have being California liberals mm -hmm. um, doesn't always I I equate um, selling out these 60,000 person festivals in Wyoming or Wisconsin <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Yeah. So I'm curious um, if that was a decision, uh, if you asked anybody around you, like if you needed some motivation to, to take your music there, where, where did that sense of responsibility come from? Well, so th with the music, I mean, in the past we have done, in my mind, um, political songs. I think in the past though, with the way I used to write lyrics, it was, it was way more vague. I always used to feel when I was younger that my lyrics were so obvious um, when I would write – because it was so obvious to me. So I'd write mm -hmm. these lyrics and just think, oh my god, everyone's going to know what I'm talking about. No one knew what I was talking about. Yeah. So I, I feel like in the past, even though we did go into to politics and stuff like that, like a, like our song Still Waiting, um, which was our first single off of Does This Look Affected, um, that was about George Bush and about the Iraq war that hadn't started yet but there was talk of it. And it was a protest against going into Iraq. You don't get that when you read those lyrics. Mm -hmm. But in my head, it, it really was. And we thought, oh, man, when we put this out, this is like is, as obvious They're as Rage do, Against like, the Machine. Dixie yeah, exactly. It was something like that. Um, and just nobody got it. And we tried to talk about it in interviews and people just – especially in those days because we were just some young Canadian kids. Like Usually when we would a answer or talk about things, they would kind of be looking at a paper. They'd hear what we, we'd finished and ask another question. No follow-up. Right. They just weren't even paying attention. Mm -hmm. Nobody really cared what we had to say. That's still true. <laughs> yeah. So, um, That's what I'm doing right now. Yeah. So it just people just gloss over everything that we were talking about and the lyrics were not obvious. So that's about the past. About the new stuff um, – I didn't talk to anybody. I don't really talk to anybody about the music. Um, I sort of just – I have my own process of 
I let it come out. Whenever the time is right, it usually just starts falling out of me. I don't have a choice. Like I just – I can't be around a guitar. I'm always – there's a guitar in every room and I'm just writing. Little things come here and there um, or a piano or something like that. And everything – the words just kind of come out. Um, When I started writing this last record um, and I started realizing that there was – there were lyrics coming out that felt political to me, I tried to stop it. And I started to censor myself because I was – not because I was afraid of it but because I didn't want to. Um, I was so – I felt like music was going to be the escape from every all the bullshit that's going on. But, you know, I, my process of writing and recording was I would come down to wake up in the morning. I usually write in the morning or at least these days I do. And uh, I would sort of get my sort of breakfast together and I'd have the news on and you start to find out what the chaos of the day is. And – I would go to studio to get away from it all and all these words were coming out and I just thought, man, I I don't want to do that. Um, I tried to fight it. I tried to change all the lyrics and everything just started making nonsense. It didn't sound good and I was like, I don't even know what I'm talking about. It's like three different topics in this song. I can't even – some of the topics, I don't even know what I'm saying. Sure, like these words rhyme but they don't sing well. Like I didn't have no passion for singing them and so I just said, okay, whatever. I'm just going to do whatever it is. Whatever comes out, comes out. And once I was finished and I kind of looked at everything, I was like, it's almost to me, it's not political. It's personal. It's more about my feelings rather than policies or Mm -hmm. specifics. You know, I I started realizing there's just, you can tell, if I didn't tell you that it was political or go into it, like I think you would think maybe I'm mad at some, a friend or something like that. You know what I mean? And I think that that's part of what makes uh, timeless political music what it is. You know, I think a lot of Bob Dylan's music and blowing in the wind and Mm -hmm. these songs, um, kind of they were open to interpretation and i felt when i put out blood water that it was this really obvious critique of the people that trump was appointing the mm-hmm. environmental protection agency that were you know lobbyists for the yeah, yeah. coal industry or whatever the fuck and some people were interpreting it as like a relationship song mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and exactly. at my my instinct was like wow you are so wrong about <laughs> yeah. what that song's about and then really it was like once this shit comes out, it's really not up to me. It, however anyone else interprets it, I'm just happy that it resonates with you. And if you're using, you know, and the other unfortunate reality is, is if it is only as available as the topic that it was about at the time I wrote it, then it can only be this big. Mm-hmm. Bloodwater gets licensed for the NFL and this and that. Because it's a great song. You know, well, it's, it's. I think it's. I think that when you were saying, you know. Uh, that sometimes these songs can be either misinterpreted or the, the lyrics, while obvious to you, uh, mm-hmm. can be interpreted. I think that there has to be room for that. And um, really quickly, I wanted to segue and uh, remind people that this section is brought to you by Headcount Organization, who are encouraging people to get registered to vote. So stop watching this on YouTube. Get your shit together. Look yourself in the mirror and go, what the fuck am I doing with my life? And then text Voter XX to 40649 to sign up for Headcount's election alerts and enter to win an Epiphone guitar. Um Normally, the people that I'm having on, we've already done this acoustic song, mm-hmm. and we would be promoting that, but we haven't done that. You we'll just came it. to hang. Well, yeah. I would love to, so we yeah. will do you it. You just asked me yesterday. So. Yeah, <laughs> and you fucking showed up. <laughs> um, and I really appreciate that. And we are, the year is 2020. By the time this comes out, who the fuck knows what's going to be happening if there is an America when this time comes out. <laughs> yeah. um, what's one thing in 2020 that's an issue that uh, that, that is important to you or to your family that, that you think uh, is worth exercising your right to vote for um well i mean there's probably a lot but i mean i'll go with an obvious one because 
being from Canada, we'll just talk about healthcare then. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, the, it's it's always, you know, boggled my mind that this country's healthcare is the way it is, and coming from a country that has, you know, uh, socialized health healthcare, so and good socialized. Yeah, healthcare. and that's like in like I've tried to get my mom to move down here. She's like, I'm not moving down. There. I'm going to lose my healthcare. <laughs> you know, like it. It's always funny when I see politicians talk about and and downplay Canada for their you know healthcare system, and they say Canadians don't want it; they want to come to America. I'm like, I don't know any Canadian that wants to give up their healthcare. No, absolutely not. I totally agree. My my father had to have surgery uh, this year, and he's he's doing really well. He got um, like awesome care. It was it was quick. Mm-hmm. It was well done. I don't know any way you can gauge this thing going well. It went well, mm-hmm. and we really didn't have to pay for it. Yeah, and I mean, we did have to pay for it in our taxes, taxes. but yeah, yeah. you know, that's fucking money well spent. Certainly, a lot less than it would have been if it was privatized. A and B, uh, well, it's, and it's also not one huge bill all at once. Too. Yeah, <laughs> and you take a little comfort. My, you know, my 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 father immigrated to Canada from America, um, worked his way into dual citizenship. And uh, he takes a sense of pride in in in, in paying that bill and in, in increasing his taxes. He likes knowing that this country that has been so good to him that he's playing some small role for somebody else to be mm-hmm. able to receive that care. And I do think that embedded in this healthcare thing is a is an, is a me versus them mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a fucking young. I mean, I I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, but <laughs> I, I do think that that one for me is. It's just so obvious if you come from a, a country where you're born into that system. I understand that change is scary. And, you know, I was reading a really interesting thing about um, that there were these demands from the public um, around the same time in the in the 20th century um, and how in Canada certain um, concessions were made to the Canadian people. Whereas here in America, those concessions were made specifically to the unions. They were made to the workers, but mm-hmm. they managed to carve out um, our collective responsibility. And instead, they only caved to these unions and then proceeded to strip these unions of their agency and of their power. Um, and it's just fucked up. So I'm, I'm right there with you. And uh, I think we've – I think we kind of hit everything. Um yeah. Do you have any other? There's somebody watching that's like still trying to figure out who the fuck they are. And I mean, with us as musicians, I feel so lucky every day. Let alone that that I've found success in the thing I love, but that I've even found the thing I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and for anybody that is still struggling with that, I mean, it's kind of hard to relate to sometimes when I talk to other musicians because we just knew it was just music. And uh, most musicians, I know you're certainly one of them. If you weren't a successful version of this, you'd still be doing it. That's like what I was saying. That's what I knew when I was 17. I didn't know if it was going to be successful, but I knew I was going to do it. So then what what can we say to anybody that doesn't have that? (laughs) Again, I mean, I always like feel like it's just, it's so individual. I mean, how do you tell somebody just find what you love? I mean, is it that simple? I don't know. I mean, that's how it worked for me. I just followed what I I loved. Yeah, I think that if there's one thing we can take away, it it, it really comes back to what we were talking about about just doing, you mm-hmm. know, just doing and finding your comfort and finding what's what what works with you and what doesn't. Th- I think it goes back to what I was saying to you is exactly that. Like, just do stuff. You are going to make mistakes. You are going to find things that don't work or you you don't like the situation you get into. But you can always get out of it, and you will find something. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll you can make a better life by making mistakes. You know, let's go fuck some shit, up, <laughs> dude. Thank you so much for taking your day with your. 
eight-day-old <laughs> child yep. and your beautiful wife chilling right over there. Um, hanging out. Thank you guys for coming to hang on this very Super Tuesday. And uh, let's make some music. Let's hang out soon. Cool. Awesome. Sick. Cool. That's it. We did it.